Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 15. This is the word of the Lord. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, once again, this week, we come to you and ask you that you would break your word to us, Lord, as as the bread uh, of life, that you would feed our souls and nourish us through your word. Lord, may your spirit give us understanding. May your spirit bring transformation to our lives. May your spirit cause us to not sit here unchanged and unmoved, but by the power of your spirit, may we be transformed by your word. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, we come for a fifth time this morning to these same verses in Ephesians chapter 5. And we want to talk this morning about submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. All the commands at which we've looked over the course of the previous four weeks have had a vertical direction to them. They are between us, or you and me, and, and God. You know, throughout your day, you consult with the Lord, you talk to the Lord through prayer, about the choices, the decisions you have to make in your life, so that no matter where you are, no matter who you're with, you with, those decisions that you make enable you to bear a sharp image of Christ to those who are around you. It's a vertical relationship. It's to the Lord that you come to understand who he is and what his will is for your life. You come to the Lord. It's vertical. It's the Lord that you come to and you ask him, Lord, how do I make the most of every opportunity that you've given to me so that those opportunities have eternal significance and value? It's between you and the Lord. You sing and you speak words about God and Christ to one another as we meet here for worship and as we gather outside of these walls. And so the focus is upward toward Christ and the words we speak and the songs that we sing. It's the Spirit of God that is to fill us, and it's to, and in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we give thanks to God for everything, always, for all that he has done for us. And so we've had a very vertical uh, focus in these past four weeks. Well, this morning, as we come once again to uh, these same verses, we make a shift. Now our focus is going to be horizontal. We're going to be looking at each other. Because unless you are a monk or a nun who's taken some vow of isolation, or unless you're trapped or stranded on a desert island somewhere all alone, you have to live out your Christian life. You have to obey what God calls you to do. You have to display the fruit of the Spirit in the real world around real people, people with issues, people with baggage, People who are annoying. Because things are 
possibly not as right between you and God as you think they are if they're not right between you and other people and how you live among them and how you treat them. You know, when you go to medical school, some of you do, you study medicine and you're tested over and over and over again on your knowledge. How much do you know? You practice on cadavers. Cadavers don't have issues. Well, I mean, maybe being dead is an issue. I don't know, but, you know, they, they don't talk back to you. They don't have an opinion. But eventually, you have to treat real patients in the real world if you're going to be a real doctor. You know, in college, I learned all about education. That's what I studied, education philosophy, education theory, the history of education. I studied how to learn, how to teach, how to test. But then I had to get out in the real world and teach real students if I was ever going to be a real teacher. So it's living out the Christian life in the real world among real people that demonstrates that we know God, that we know the gospel in a way that's more than just information, but in a way that demonstrates that there is a real relationship there between us and the Lord, that we really are filled with the Spirit that our lives really have been transformed. We demonstrate the reality of all of that in the way we live in and among one another. Listen, God is never going to sin against you. God, God is never going to sin against you. People will. God isn't messed up. Some people are. God doesn't have issues that cloud the way he thinks about you or interacts with you. Some people do. God is not in competition with you to try to get ahead of you. Some people are. God doesn't like any bit of information about you that would ever cause him to say, oh, I'm sorry. If I had only known that had happened to you, then I would have never dot, dot, dot. Oh, if I had only known that had happened to you, I, I would have acted differently. Maruge is an 84-year-old Kenyan man. And he tried to enroll in first grade when he was 84 years old, when it was announced by the Kenyan government in 2007 that free education was available to all. Maruge wanted to learn to read the Bible because he said you couldn't trust preachers. They lie to you. And this is perhaps a bad illustration, but anyway, that's what he said. (laughs) So through his persistence in turning up at this first grade school, day after day, even when he was stopped at the gate, and even when he was told by teachers and the school officials, you cannot enroll, he was finally admitted to the first grade class. So there is 84-year-old Maruge with um, the uh, six-year-olds. Well, a teacher that didn't really want him at school, who was trying to find fault with him, said to him one day, Maruge, your pencil is dull. Go sharpen it. But Maruge didn't move. Maruge, go sharpen your pencil. But Maruge couldn't move because Maruge in that moment was reliving a scene from his life from 50 years before, a scene from his days as a a freedom fighter, from the days when he was arrested and imprisoned and tortured to one day in particular when a finely sharpened pencil was shoved into his ear, piercing his eardrum, taking away his hearing, causing him to cry out in pain. When Maruge was finally able to get up, the teacher said to him, 
Don't let your pencil ever get dull again. You know, if only the teacher had known the horror that something as simple as a sharp pencil could cause, he might have dealt with Maruge differently. See, we don't understand each other perfectly. And all of us have those sharp pencils in our lives. We, we do. Or, or they're in our background. And they've impacted us and the way we think and the way we live. And, and some of those things, those sharp pencils have, have damaged us. And we don't always or we don't even often know what those sharp pencils are in the lives of those around us, even those seated beside you right now in this moment. And so we've got to seek to deal with each other gently, knowing that those sharp pencils exist. And we've got to show understanding and grace and compassion and mercy because that's what the Lord has shown to us. And because when we're filled with the Spirit, we seek to build one another up and not tear one another down. But we have to be intentional about this. And I think we'll want to deal with each other in this way. Build one another up when we realize that we are on the same team. We're on the same team. And that's what this word submit means. Submit to one another. To to be in a submissive relationship. to, To be subordinate. To line oneself up under. The word that Paul uses here is a military word. You know, when you join the military, you sign away your rights to live your life as you want to live it, to do what you want to do. When they play Reveille in the morning, you got to get up, you got to get up, you got to get up in the morning. Guess what? Hey, you got to get up in the morning. You don't have a choice about it. You don't decide when you're going to take leave. That decision is made for you because you're no longer an individual. You're part of a unit or a company or a regiment that has to work together and function together as one to achieve whatever goal or whatever objective the commanding officer has placed before you. And so Paul is calling us as believers in Christ to do voluntarily what soldiers do when they join the military. We voluntarily give up the right to be individualistic. To have everything done our way. We're on the same team with Christ as our leader. Together we work toward this common objective. What, what, what we could accomplish if we were convinced of this truth. If we lived this truth out. If we fought to protect this truth. The truth is we are on the same team. We're on the same team. And we have this glorious goal put before us that no one of us could ever accomplish individually on our own. And that goal is to be witnesses for Christ here in Charleston. And as Jesus said to the uttermost parts of the world, Leah, on her way to London, we have this as a goal that the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as water covers the sea. That's our goal, to fill this World with the knowledge of the Lord. If we're ever going to achieve that goal, it will only be as you and I work together, and that will happen only as we submit to each other, as we voluntarily yield to one another in love, as we fight for one another and not against each other. We don't always agree on how to get the job done. I bet some of you are mad that the carpet is gone, aren't you? You like that red carpet. 
Or you're mad that we pulled the gold down because you thought that gold tacky tab, I mean that gold tape was pretty up there. You've got opinions on what room houses what next door. You do. We differ in our opinions about how to go about things. We differ in our opinion on how to get the job done, how to get the gospel out. But look, we can submit to one another in those decisions and be thankful that we do share this great goal together, this spirit-inspired goal that, that he has opened our eyes to see and our hearts to understand that the Spirit of God partners with us in this goal that has life and death consequences, eternal consequences, and that's to advance the kingdom of God. And so... We submit to one another so that our team isn't torn apart or rendered ineffective so that we move together as one unit. How are we going to submit to one another? Paul writes this in Philippians chapter 2. He says, consider yourself, uh, consider others better than yourself. Well, to consider someone else better than yourself, you have to know yourself, don't you? And we don't always know ourselves. You know, we share the vanity of that evil queen who only asked mirror, mirror on the wall because she was confident the answer would be you're the fairest one of all. We think of ourselves far better than we should and we get upset with others when they don't share that good opinion uh, of us. And that's exactly the point where you and I have to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Before we open our mouths to preach the gospel to someone else, we preach it to ourselves. And here's how it works. You believe the gospel. To believe the gospel means that you believe that you are a sinner and that you have no hope except in the mercy of God. And believing that to be true, you trust in Christ alone, no one else, in Christ alone for your salvation. And in the moment that you believe that, that you're a sinner. You have no hope except for Christ. You are, in a sense, lower than you've ever been in your life because your pride is crushed. It's crushed. And you have to say the two words that none of us like to say, I can't, followed by the words, Lord, you must. If I'm to be rescued, if I'm to be set free from this striving for approval, if I'm going to be set free from the, the guilt of my life and the things I've said and done, if I'm going to be set free from whatever it is and you can fill in the blank, Lord, you must do it. And at that po- point, when we make those confessions, you and I become common. We are not standouts at all. We are not the fairest one of all. Just one of those who have finally realized that they really aren't exceptional. You're really not exceptional. I'm really not exceptional. Scripture says no one is righteous. No, not one. No one. But we want to think we're the exception of the rule. Well, no one is righteous, Lord, but me. No. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All except me. No. You are not an exceptional person, and neither am I. We have no reason to promote ourselves above someone else. We are absolutely common. Absolutely common. Because every human being shares in common. Being a condemned, hopeless sinner. Every human shares that in common. Because every human being shares in common being rescued from that condemnation in Christ alone. 
And so when you realize just how common you are, your pride is crushed, and you come to believe that you can't, but in faith you believe that Jesus can and you're saved. And listen, it isn't as if that moment that when, when we are converted is a low point, a point that we are crushed and broken, a point from which we start our rise to, to do it all again, to try to stand out and, and to try to be exceptional. No, Paul says, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? You know, you began with the Spirit and now you're going to try to take over through your own works. No one is exceptional in the kingdom of God. We are all part of that kingdom without exception by the grace of God. And so we stay throughout our lives in the place of humility to which God brought us when he saved us. We stay there because we all know every person in this room. We all know how you have to treat other people if we are striving to be the exceptional one, the one who's going to stand out, the one who's going to be noticed above everyone else, the one who is going to get credit And it isn't by submitting to others. And I'm not talking about excellence here. Everything that we do for the Lord, we should do with excellence. I'm talking about our need to be exceptional. And again, it comes back to being drunk on wine or being filled with the Spirit. We get intoxicated by our world, driven by grades and honors and bronze medals and silver medals, gold medals, Super Bowl rings red carpets. We become addicted to, to, to the pride. It's, a, it's intoxicating so that we want more and more of it, more attention, more praise. And instead of submitting to one another when that's our goal, when we are addicted to that need, we try to eliminate or neutralize anyone who stands in our way of achieving that goal. Instead of working together, we go solo or rogue, so that we don't have to share the glory. All right, enough of that. Because <laughs> it really is a reality. There's a better way. There's a better way for all of us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul speaks to the church members there. There's fighting among them. There's quarreling among them. There's jealousy. Some are saying, I belong to Paul. Well, I belong to Apollos. Well, I belong to Paul. Well, I belong to Apollos. And so Paul writes to them. And he says, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us to do. See, nobody's exceptional. It's just everyone doing faithfully the work that God gave them to do. Now, I have to read two passages for you, and you want me to. Right? Ephesians chapter 4, just one chapter back from what we're reading this morning. Paul writes this. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Verse 11, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. I believe quantitatively in number and qualitatively in our love for the Lord. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, 
joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is a little longer. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit is the source of all of them. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it's the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body, and so it is with the body of Christ. That's us. But our bodies may have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the foot, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important, that might be the diaper changers, I don't know, are actually the most necessary. So God's put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all members care for each other. All of you together are Christ's body and each of you is part of it. Paul's trying to get us to see and understand in these passages, the one before us this morning in Ephesians 4 and 1 Corinthians 12 and other places, is what is important is not what part you are. That's not what's important, what part God has given you to play. What's important is that you are part of the whole. And so it's the whole that we have to have in the forefront of our minds. The impact your words will have on the whole The impact your actions will have on the whole, will they encourage the whole, strengthen it, make it resound in its gospel message, make it more loving, make it more vibrant, make its testimony clear and its image of Christ sharp. If your words will accomplish them, speak them. If they won't, don't say them or rephrase them in a way that they will. If your actions contribute toward that good of the whole, then do them. If they don't, recast those deeds in such a way that they will accomplish that purpose of unity and harmony. Because if our enemy can divide us, he's beaten us. Or at least he's rendered us completely ineffective. You know, we need not fear We don't have to worry that the world will ever see a sharp image of of Christ in us if we are competing with one another or tearing one another down. They'll dismiss us completely. And that's why submitting to one another is so vitally important. Famous preacher Martin Martin Lloyd-Jones says this about the Corinthians. They were all agreed about the way of salvation and the deity of Christ. Check. Their knowledge was perfect. And about the atonement, they were all agreed there, otherwise they would have not been in the church. But you can be agreed about those truths and still divide the church body and be guilty of schism about other matters. And it's just here that we have to learn to submit ourselves to one another in the fear of Christ. If you have no opinions, you're not a Christian. 
But if you are opinionated, you are a bad Christian. God grant us the ability to draw that distinction. It's so interesting that we come this morning uh, to the Lord's table. Here it is, right in front of us. The early church, the Lord's table, the Lord's supper, when it was celebrated, it was preceded by a a big church supper. They called it uh, a love feast. But the church in Corinth, again, uh, was a little off in their thinking, and, and they were struggling to apply the gospel to themselves and to others around them. And so those in the church who had money, who had means, they brought sumptuous feasts to these love feasts for themselves to eat. And they would eat it in front of others who had little or nothing at all. Those who had to work long hours often had to come to the church supper late because they had to work all day. Well, those who didn't have to work at all or didn't have to work as much, they got there early. And they just began eating their food without waiting for anybody else. And so to display this selfishness and self-centeredness or just thoughtlessness, that they hadn't bothered to try to think about anyone else's lives but their own, to do all that before, before coming to the table of the Lord flew in the face of the gospel. And it was clear evidence that the people didn't really understand the gospel, and so Paul wrote to them. He says, I can't praise you, for it sounds as if more harm than good is done when you meet together for this feast. First, I hear there are divisions among you when you meet as a church, and to some extent, I believe it. When you meet together, you're not really interested in the Lord's Supper. For some of you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. As a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. What? Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I certainly will not praise you for this. See, we must submit to one another because we love Jesus more than we love ourselves and because we're wanting to and aiming to and hoping to love others more than we love ourselves. And so it's our submission, our concern, our respect, our yielding to our brothers and sisters that will demonstrate that we understand what Jesus did for us, though we didn't deserve it. And in that way, we will display a sharp, clear image of Christ because this is what he did for us even though we didn't deserve it. We'll honor that image of Christ in our brothers and sisters. We'll love them, defend them, and seek the best for them. And together, you and I, as one unit, one family, one body, one church, however you want to term it, we can work together then toward this this common goal of extending the kingdom of God by living out the gospel among ourselves first and getting the message of the gospel out to the world that so desperately needs it. Let's pray and ask God that he would accomplish this goal in us and among us. Father, thank you again for time in your word. Thank you for this passage, these verses uh, in Ephesians, and the challenge that they have been to our lives. Father, we thank you that we can't have this vertical relationship with you and and our, our our attention, our gaze must stay on you. We have to have that vertical uh, focus in our lives. 
But Lord, it's that vertical focus on you and who you are and what you want that drives us to have horizontal relationships as well, Lord, among other people. And I pray that your spirit would be at work among us here at Redeemer, that you would uh, draw us together, that you would unite us, that you would keep in the forefront of our minds this glorious goal that you have given us, uh, to be those who partner with you to advance your kingdom, to live out the gospel among ourselves, so that we're constantly saying, you first, no, you first, no, you first. Submitting ourselves to one another, loving one another. Not trying to rise above uh, each other. And then, Lord, to get this gospel message out to the world, that you would use us here as Redeemer, a Redeemer, as a united front to get the gospel out into the world so that the knowledge of you would cover the earth as water covers the sea. Accomplish that in us and through us, we pray, because uh, in our own strength, it's impossible. But filled with your Spirit, we can do all things. So we pray that you will do that in us and through us in Jesus' name. Amen.